Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with your hosts, Jake and Randy, discussing all things freestyle frisbee and whatever else that comes up. Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. Hey, Randy, how's it going? Hey, Jake, I'm doing great. How are you doing today? Doing wonderful. It's nice to be in Seattle with you so that we can jam together after this recording. So excited. I know. I know. It's crazy. So here you are. You're actually at my house, but we're not in the same room because we have that feedback with microphones. So you are upstairs in my house and I'm downstairs in my house, but we're both in Seattle. So that's kind of crazy but crazy. it's almost like i'm in portland because i see you on the screen just like i would I if i were there <laughs> <laughs> i know it's pretty cool so that is cool that we get to jam later today uh also want to remind folks so that when you buy a frisbee guru t-shirt please take a picture and send it to us so that we can put it on the the guru wall of fame on frisbeeguru.com so uh thanks for the continued support and um with that Jake, I am so fired up for our guest today. Um, he is uh, a world champ. Um, I don't really know his journey of how it all began, so I'm really excited to hear about that and um, you know, just kind of dig into what his story is. So we are so lucky today to have Merdad Hussainian. So Merdad, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you, guys. Pleasure to be part of this podcast. Yes, yes. Thank you so much for coming on. Why don't we just start with a question that Randy brought up. How did you first find Frisbee? I think it was the year 2000 or 2001. And I saw two heavers on the meadow in, in Heidelberg. It was a retired lawyer, Herman, rest in peace, and some guy from, I think, Taiwan. And he was able to receive the disc with a Short nail delay, a tip, and then he caught it under the leg. And that was like, boom. What was that? Yeah, I remember that was definitely the first time I, I saw something with Frisbee and freestyle relation. Yeah, and the year after, I think it was 2002, we were two circle of friends and Stefan Dunkel and Philip Lenatz, aka Sleepy Jammer were, among others, part of this group. They were already playing for about a year. We met regular on a regular base in a public swimming bath in Heidelberg. That was a big, beautiful meadow. And these guys were throwing really far distance, like Sleepy Jammer, Stefan. Their goal was to throw around obstacles, around trees. And none of them was throwing a backhand. And I was like, why is no one throwing a backhand? They said, everyone's throwing the backhand. Let's do something else. And since most of them were right-handers, the majority of uh, right-handed throws leads to a counter, to a counter throw. And I guess maybe that's the reason why we all started with counter. So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I think that was, that was the beginning, like playing in the summertime, catching throw with these guys. It was a lot of fun. And we played for about three summers just catch and throw before we really enter freestyle. So it was you and Sleepy and Stefan Dunkel. Those were those were your first frisbee right. buds. Yes, and two other guys, Martin Stadler, who played till two thousand eight, two thousand nine, but he actually never co- competed outside of Germany. 
and my late friend Robert Gajcevich, who who was actually the one who motivated me, who called me every day and said, "Hey, come on the meadow, let's play, let's have, some, let's do some catch ball, sit down and just talk about life and everything." He was a really cool dude, and he gave me that extra push. So that's pretty awesome that you were attracted to the disc before you knew what freestyle was. Exactly. Yeah. And when we started to play freestyle, I didn't even know that this sport exists. I remember Sleepy Jammer, Philip Lennart, he came up with the Zen video, and I will never forget the first time I watched that. I mean, it just did those couple highlight compilations, Cray and all his beauty and grace, and of course, the, the segment of the joy file. I mean, to this day, I can't explain it. It was just that intense release of emotions I felt when I saw that two-minute section of him just going crazy. Like, I think that was the start. And I think 2004, I learned nail delay. We didn't play with Sky Stellars. We, I, I preferred to play with Ultimate Discs because I was only doing center stuff with the Ultimate Discs with a little bit of silicone. Center stuff was working pretty good. And with the Sky Star, I always felt like I'm not really in control of the disc. So I prefer to play with the Ultimate Disc. And then I went to the German Championships 2005 and saw all the jammers for the first time. And I was totally intimidated because everyone was wearing fake nails. Everyone was playing the Sky Stylers and everyone was doing rim stuff I had never seen before. <laughs> so I decided, guys, I'm not going to compete. I'm going to sit down, watch and just enjoy myself. And that's what I did. And I came back the year after, and that, that was the year I first, first time I competed was the German Championships with Philip Lennartz. In 2006? Right. Okay. And did you first start wearing nails after the German Championships in 2005? Exactly. That's pretty cool. So you had a kind of a slow ramp. You were doing a lot of throw and catch, and then slowly two years later into the nail delay, and then you saw championships right. and started with the, the nails and exactly. the rims. Wow. So do you think that that influenced your style of play? Definitely. Definitely. Like, I see a lot of guys today play fantastic game, but I kind of understand why the guys from the 80s say, like, oh, it's too much rim, because indeed it is too much rim. I think sometimes you should really kind of mix it. Like, not just go for the rim, but also do some center stuff. Like, you can do a skit, of course, going deep in the rim. But you can also do it Fabio-like. I don't think he touches the rim at all when he goes from that right-handed skit to the left-handed inverted. More or less staying in the center and giving that disc that push. And that that's something I really, yeah, I'm digging it. Yeah, yeah. You're talking about Fabio Sana, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you yeah. definitely have that center control in your game. But you also have a nice a nice flowing style that not a lot of people have. I learned from you guys, especially from you, Randy. Get out yeah. of here. Definitely. Yes, yes, yes. Um, Bob Forward said to me at during Worlds in Santa Cruz, the sooner you pass to this, the sooner you get it back again. And if I remember correctly, he said it's your quote. That really fits. I mean, that really fits, Randy. I mean, playing with you is like expect the unexpected because the disc will be back in a second. <laughs> yeah, I definitely do like to uh, engage the folks around me. And I, I don't 
really remember saying that, but it's so true. I mean, I, my goal is to try to make the people around me better. And, right. uh, I just find that once you do that, that elevates everybody onto the same page and you become a unit instead of separate. So, and you also adapt to your environment. And I think by adapting, you learn a lot, a lot of new things. It doesn't have to be a new trick in particular, but just the reaction or the anticipation to see the movement of other people's bodies and you immediately yeah. know what, what you got to do. Yes. And also be aware of kind of what people's strengths are. So know what spin they are, know, know what they like, know whether they're good brushers or, you know, whether they can handle a speed flow catch, you know, just kind of try to take a high level uh, view of what's happening with the players that you're playing with, just so you can make them look better, maximize yeah. their strengths as, uh, as Dougie Fresh would say, right? So, Mayor Dad, I I remember the first time that I jammed with you, and it was I'm I'm curious to see if you remember this as well. But it was in Berlin, and it was after Worlds had finished. I think it was 2009. Uh, thank you. And uh, it was the after tournament jam fest, and we're all going crazy. And and I got a hold of you. And I got a hold of Harry, Harold from, I'm not exactly sure what city he's in right now. And I don't remember his last name, but we got going and the three of us ended up having an amazing experience. And I didn't know you guys at all. And uh, I remember we just started talking the language of the Mobop jam. And uh, I just remember going, wow, this Merdat guy, keep an eye on him. This, this, this guy's going somewhere and. Yeah, that was a great experience. You mean that was that Sunday jam on 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 the meadow of Rice Top, right? No, this was after the tournament. We did have more jams then, but I remember this specific one, and it may not have resonated with you right at that moment. But I remember really getting to kind of take a look at your game because we were playing one on one. I was like, okay, where where where's his comfort zone? What's he looking for? What does he like? And I was like, wow, this 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 guy's got some game and, 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 and Harold too. Harold was, I was really impressed with how deep his game was as well. And I've seen him play in a long time. I assume he's still playing. Yeah, he's still playing. He's great freestyle. I just saw him two weeks ago uh, where he ran the tournament with Globe. He's kind of, he's a combination of Ted Overhouse and Brian Young. He gives the, he gives perfect sets and he's a consummate team player. And he, in a jam, he always, he's like magic and bird. He wants the team to win. Uh, it's not about doing indies or just showing off or whatever. He's just, he's there for the team. And yeah, you got a guy like him in the jam. Of course, you will have a great time. Yeah, I remember that about him. And, you know, I, that's also high praise for the other guy in this podcast, Jake Gauthier. I mean, he's the man with the perfect set and making you, uh, be a great team together. So thanks, Jake. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> That's the way I like to play. I like to, like you're saying, make the jam, make everybody in the jam better. Oh. It's not about me being the best. It's about all of us playing together and raising ourselves to a new level. I want to hear the story about how you learned the chicken wing throw. Yeah, that was 2007. Uh, I just played the German championships and you... Laurie Daniels and Tom Leitner were the judges of the finals. And I said, I heard you're coming to Heidelberg. Is that true? And he said, yeah, maybe. I said, perfect. 
I live in Heidelberg. It's just 35 minutes uh, by car. I hope to see you there. And yeah, that's what happened. Jake and Laurie Daniels, they visited Heidelberg. I think we were there. You guys were there two days. Is that correct? We yeah, we were there two days. And you met us up at the castle. Right. And you you said, I have, I call my car the Persian taxi and I'm going to take you all over the city. Took us and showed us all of the sights. But so you were so generous and kind to us. And then we had that jam the next day on the river, which was exactly. just amazing. Time was limited, I remember. You guys said, oh, we don't have much time. So we went on the meadow. I think we were there for about 30 minutes. And Lori came. And if you remember, Jake, I had miserable throats. My throats were really poor. Both clock and counter. And Lori gave me, and I'm not kidding, I think it was a two-minute clinic on how to throw the chicken wing. And those two minutes just changed everything. Because I remember two weeks later, Stefan Dunkel showed up on the meadow and I said, hey, Dunk, check this. And <laughs> the expression of his face, once he had the disc on his nail, was like his jaw hit the ground. Like, <laughs> perfect. Two minutes clinic of, of a professional, highly sophisticated jammer. Not a lot of talking, not a lot of video analysis. Just someone face-to-face -face giving you that advice and you just listen. That's, I think that's also a problem with some people today. You give them feedback and they give you like some counter-critics instead of just sucking in all the information they could get. Um, there is no correct fundamental way of, of teaching something. Some people can give you some tips in terms of what to think about it. But once you get it, once you just embrace that information... Yeah. So what did she say to you that, that the light bulb went off for the chicken wing? Because I'm still looking for that light bulb. <laughs> well, have you sat down with Laurie and had her show you yet? <laughs> Maybe that's what you mean. No, I'm like, I'm like, okay, well, I know that I get to see her at Green Lake today. So I'm certainly going to take two minutes with Laurie today. So what, did she, what is she going to tell me, Mayor Dad? I can't put it in words. It was, as I say, it was very brief, short explanation. She took the dip, did the movement with the body. Laurie also got that. Fierce look once you release the disc. So I like both of it. I like both the movement and the facial expression. I was like, okay, that's something explosive. I like that. Difficult to say exactly what it was, but it clicked and I just immediately got what she was, what she was trying to teach me. You definitely got it. I remember the first time that you approached me with that throw. I was kind of like, oh, my God, this is going to smack me right in the face. And then it, it just like lofted right gently to my hand. I was like, how did you do that with such violent beauty? <laughs> it was like, oh, my God. I'm very thankful that Lori gave me that advice because it really changed a lot. And I, I got more confident because from then on, I felt like, okay, if I'm playing with clock players, and I can't play clock, and I can't throw good clock Z's. at least maybe they have fun with my counter-throw. So just this little idea helped me to step in in some jams where I usually wouldn't go in. I think that's really good advice for new players, actually. If you have a good throw clock and a good throw counter, even if you don't have all the moves down or all the catches down, if you can throw people good spin either way, you can get into any jam and people will be happy that you're there. And I saw someone with a t-shirt that said, I run for good Z's. Oh, that's a great t-shirt. <laughs> I've never seen it. That's something I always try to tell people around me. I say, guys, sometimes you're a bit lazy. Didn't you see the, how, how he 
put all his heart and soul into that throw and he just tried to reach by just doing a little step. Don't you see the amount of Z's coming towards you? You've got to run for that shit. I mean, you, you will be rewarded. <laughs> I, I love that you say put his heart and soul into it because there are definitely some throws where I put my heart and soul into it and the person didn't catch it or didn't go for it. And I'm like, oh, there goes some of my heart and soul into the turf. Yeah. <laughs> into the turf. Oh, that's so sad. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Meredith, in 2015, you and Paul Kenny won the FPA World's Open Pairs. And I remember that finals was an amazing finals. There were more than one dropless routine, and uh, people got really hot. But you guys pulled it out. So I wanted to just ask you, what was the journey like? How did you and Paul prepare? Uh, and what was the experience winning? Well, I have to dig a bit deeper. I think the whole process started... Uh, in Santa Cruz, 2013. First of all, it was my first time ever trip to the States. I had a fantastic time in New York. And then Worlds felt really privileged to play with Joel Rogers and Daniel in co-op. And also Daniel in pairs. And just making that pairs final meant everything to me. Because here I was, only a few people out there actually knew me because the last seven years... I had only played three worlds, twice in Berlin and one time in Prague. So I guess most people didn't really know me. And I consider myself a true freestyle frisbee pro student. Like, I want to know everything about the history. I want to know the players. I remember Ken Westerfield walking by and I said to one of the German guys, Hey, did you, did you notice? Did you recognize him? And I said, No. And I said, Guys, that, that was Ken Westerfield. How can you not? How can you oh, play wow. freestyle? Don't know Ken. It's like playing basketball and then Michael Dorn walks by and you have no idea who he is. Dude, that's insane. Like to me, to others maybe not, but to me, it's like I have to know them. I want to know everything. And just making the finals and knowing that Chipper broke Bell. Donnie Rhodes, Jim Schmall, Dave Schiller, um, Ken Westerfield, and all the other legends and giants of the game are sitting there watching me play. That was it. That was the best thing I experienced to that day. And then a week afterwards, Paul wrote me for the first time. And before that, I never really had a real chat with him. And he wrote me on Facebook and said, he said something like, I have an eye on you. So same day, he asked me, you want to compete with me in in Council 2015. And I said, yeah, it would be amazing. So that was the beginning. And I also have to say that when I came back from Santa Cruz, everything changed. Because from that day on, until I had my surgery in March 2015, like in one and a half years, I swear to God, I maybe didn't play 30 days. Like I, I practiced every single day. And if I didn't was playing outside, I was playing inside. And even if it was just five minutes, I was all, I always had the disc in my hand. I was always, every day, trying to become better and better and better. And it clicked. It all worked. Uh, the season 2013 ended with a nice win with James at a tournament in Cologne. 2014 started with you, Randy, playing Frisbee with you. That was a big, big highlight for me. And then I missed the world in, in Colombia, but kept on playing. Won four hat tournaments in a row. And I felt like, okay, I'm like, I'm a locomotive and it's, it's going, I'm going up the hill and it's getting, I'm getting faster and faster. And then Paul came to Berlin and those five days there was, that was just magical because he was able to create that stage for me. 
And he gave me that feeling that he has my back all the time. Interesting. I'm just going to back you up a little bit because I remember 2013 in, in Santa Cruz and, and seeing you and I totally watched you get your groove. You and Daniel O'Neill were such a great pair and you guys fed off each other. And I felt like you pretty much at that moment said, hello, freestyle world, I'm here. That is definitely the moment you you got on the radar and you got the attention of everybody. So that is cool to hear you talk about the progression and how you got on that locomotive here you are with Paul, and you guys are getting ready to create the magic. So, yeah, as you said, uh, that semifinals with Daniel, I consider it my mental breakthrough because from that day on, my my second freestyle career, my actually my real freestyle career started. And yeah, getting back to to the journey with Paul, those five days, like we rented a dance studio and practiced three hours a day, and had. Many, 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 many run-throughs. Like, I had never done that before. Um, and I thought I would probably get tired, but I was fired up every single day. Every single day. Was that your first time putting together a routine? Had all your routines been spontaneous, or yes. was this the first deep dive? First routine I ever had. Wow, that's yeah. impressive. First routine goes to a win. As I said, he, Paul just... You know, with all his experience, he he saw my my strength, and he knew that I have that kind of I don't know how you guys call it, but that my friends call it that love and passion thing. Like when I play with the disc and my body and everything, and he gave me that confidence, and he created that stage where I could just play in my comfort zone, and he kind of took away that pressure. I owe him the world, and he knows it. Yeah, he's he's a good man, and he's definitely taken a lot of players under his wing and and brought them to another level. So uh, you know, kudos to Paul Kenny, and yeah. I'm glad that he reached out to you and let you shine in the way that you do. And uh, I just have to concur that you got to a point where you're sh you share your love and passion. I, I love the way that you say that the love and passion you share it with the audience. It isn't about you; it's really about giving that gift back. and And I want to thank you for for doing that. Thanks, my friend. And thanks to Paul. I love you, dude. <laughs> so talk a little bit more about that that five days as you guys were doing the deep dive. Well, that was actually, it was like a routine. Like, you do the practice, the practice becomes a routine. You repeat it, it becomes a habit. And that's what we did for five days. So after five days, and I'm not kidding, I felt like if we hit this routine, there's no way anyone can beat us. And five days earlier, I was like, but... Jake Gothel is coming, Randy Savie is entering, Tommy Leitner is coming, Pablo Santa, <laughs> everyone is. But after five days playing that routine a hundred times, I felt like, okay, if we hit it, I don't think anyone can beat us. It was Paul's vision that he put in my mind. Like, I don't, I've, never, I've never seen myself be that confident. But it was like, i give you another example. Finals were FPA World. And Florian Hess and Alex Lutz played droplets. We were right after them, the last team. And I just heard the, 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 the reaction of the crowd. I didn't watch it because I knew <laughs> I, I, I couldn't take it. But I just heard it. And then I looked to Paul and Paul watched the entire routine. And he came towards me and he just quietly said, no way. If we hit it, we win. So we went out and yeah, the rest is history. 
I will say I there aren't a lot of times when I put together routines, but there is that moment at the end of a practice session when you kind of get all the pieces together and you go like, oh, oh my, if we hit this, we win. It doesn't matter what. So that's cool that you got to have that experience because it's not often that that happens and, and you got it right out of the gate. So lucky you. Yeah, that really is a an amazing feeling when you know that a routine you're building, you're like, oh my God, that's that's it. And so I was curious, Jake, have you ever had that feeling of building a routine and sort of having that inner voice go, wow, I think I think if we hit this, we win? Uh, that's a good question. And I don't know if I've ever actually had that feeling. I've had some routines where I felt like they were really good, but I never felt like if we hit this, we win. I was more for me, it was more about just making sure that I did the best performance that I possibly could and just then see where the chips fall. Yeah, I, I say I don't. I, I think it's a it's a rare thing. So I'm not surprised to hear you say that. I'm not sure many people have had that experience. So it was wild to hear Graf say that he had that right out of the gate with his first routine building. And I've like had it a couple times over my 40 year career. So like I say it's not something that happens every day. So when you had those those couple times, did you ended up winning? Or did we you did not. Did okay. That's amazing. Yeah, the first time it happened was with uh, Bill and Larry. And uh, we did our skating away routine and we all looked at each other and we got done putting it together. And we just kind of had that moment of like, wow, this is special. If we hit it, we win. That's cool. Okay. I'll have to go look that one up on YouTube and and see the magic. (laughs) Hey, I just want to thank everybody out there for listening. Both Jake and I really appreciate uh, all the feedback that we're getting and um, have been really thankful for all the listeners. So thank you all for, for listening. Yep. Thanks for tuning in, guys. And we'll talk to you all later. All right. Bye, Jake. Bye. Thanks for listening to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. To contact us or for more info, check us out at frisbeeguru.com. Home to hang